Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by iFast's own Eric Huddleston. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I'm going to let you know I am keeping this short and sweet today, my friend. I have gotten hit with the absolute plague. The last two and a half days have been an absolute blur. Don't know what hit me. Don't want to think about it anymore. But there was an entire day I lost just on the couch. I'm pretty sure I slept 18 or 19 hours out of the day. It was just this mix of I'd wake up for five or 10 minutes, fall immediately back asleep for 45 minutes to an hour, wake up for five or 10 minutes, didn't eat anything, barely drank anything. It was, to say the least, awful. (laughs) But, you know, if there's any consolation in this, my online client, Mark, who actually uh, I've worked with since I believe 2005 or 2006, came over and spent a day with us a couple weeks ago, and he said ever since he's gotten home to Japan, he has spent the last two weeks in quarantine over fears of him possibly having the coronavirus. So needless to say, I haven't been quarantined, so that's a good thing. Two and a half days being down kind of sucks, but it is what it is. So only one major update that I want to fill you guys in on, because I know a lot of you have been asking about it, either through email, through social. We are officially dog owners. The man, the myth, the legend himself, Young Finn, is sitting in the room with me as we speak, doing a fantastic job so far. I think we've had him about three days now. He's doing amazing with his potty training. Actually, for the first time ever, got him out on the leash a little bit today. Little resistance there, but that's to be expected. Overall, he walked out to the bus stop with me, which was great, and he is just an awesome, awesome little guy. Obviously, the kids are super stoked to have him, and I'm sure you're going to be seeing a ton of this little fella on social, in my videos, all over the place. So my friend, I'm keeping it short. Like I said, just not really feeling all that great today. And I want to jump into this awesome show with Eric. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump into the show. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next cert will launch in March of 2020, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. 
Eric Huddleston is currently the Director of Performance at iPath. Prior to his time with us, this guy interned all over the country, from Fitness Quest 10 in San Diego, to Texas Tech University in Lubbock, to Indiana University, and of course, his time at iFast. In this show, Eric and I start with the obvious question. Why on earth did he take four different internships? From there, we dig a bit deeper to discuss what he found valuable at each stop, the apprenticeship process, and what it means to him, and we finish off with his thoughts on how young coaches can set themselves up for career success going forward. If you're a young coach and want to fast track your career, this episode is a must listen. But enough for me, let's do this. Eric, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? So first of all, thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, you know, long time listener, first time caller <laughs> type of thing. But, you yes. know, I've been around for a little bit, but yeah. really, really uh, appreciate you having me on today. Of course. So yeah, my name is Eric Huddleston. I'm the Director of Performance and Internship Coordinator at iFast. I've been doing that for about two years now. So I oversee, you know, our staff of three full-time coaches you know, however many interns we have given the semester. Right. So I'm kind of in charge of all of that stuff. And then I also manage a lot of the day-to-day stuff that we do at iFast and like a lot of the operations stuff that we do at the gym. Yep. Love it. And then on top of that, you know, I do all my evening coaching at iFast. So we have Tall Dave in the morning. So he's there from like 6 to noon. And then I have kind of the afternoon evening schedule. So that's kind of my professional life and my in my internet life, uh, I'm fondly known. If you if you follow any of Mike's videos or or uh, have purchased the complete coach certification, I am also known as my guy E. My guy E. You might have seen me, you know, in my in my fitness modeling debut, uh, <laughs> doing a lot of the exercise demos for Mike's videos, and then kind of in my my personal my home life outside of the gym, I got an awesome fiance Macy, who I have the pleasure of marrying up September. And a three-month-old golden doodle puppy named Nash. Yes. You, so, yeah. You're, you're working on a nice little family there, dude. Yeah, you know, trying to live the whole adult thing right now. So, <laughs> Good luck, man. You know, the best part is when you told me the other day that now some of your clients are calling you My Guy E. It is. It's an unfortunate uh, <laughs> kind, of, kind of circumstance that's happened with that because I get that a lot now. That's so. awesome. I love yeah. it. I love it. So tell me, what led you to the world of physical preparation? How did you get started in all this? Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I have kind of a winding path here. And I know you hear that a lot from, from you know, coaches whenever you get that question. Everybody yeah. has an unconventional path, I feel like. Yes. But similarly to everybody else, you know, I played three sports in high school. And so I love sports. But I also, you know, graduated from a school with 25 other kids. So we had... You know, being a very small school, we had I had a lot of opportunity to play sports and yep. you know play whatever I wanted to, and, and got a lot of playing time and that stuff. But you know, we didn't have a weight room because we didn't have resources for stuff like that. And really, growing up, I had I had no exposure to to any aspect of performance training, so I didn't have you know we had we had sport coaches. I had a basketball coach and a football coach and a baseball coach, and we worked on skills for those sports. But I didn't I wasn't well rounded outside of the skills that you need for those type of things. So. You know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I started college, and you know, I love sports, so I started out as a marketing major with the intention of going to law school and eventually becoming a sports agent. So okay. I, knew I, I didn't know that. Sports. Yeah, so uh, you know, I, I wanted to do the whole go to law school thing, become a sports agent, 
become a sports agent, make 10% of whatever your contract, you know, your client's contract right. ends up being. Because I knew I, I wanted to be around athletes, but I didn't have, you know, I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. And sure. so that seemed like one way to do it and make some money while you're doing it. So hmm. had some hiccups early on in school. And I think I'll get into that, you know, a little bit, a little bit later in more detail. But, you know, I started putting on a lot of weight. I wasn't doing well in my classes. And, and I had, you know, a lot of emotional issues at that time that I was going through. And so, you know, I had one of my roommates and my best friends, Jeremy, he asked me if I wanted to just start working out with him. And he was already training and doing all that kind of stuff. And I had had literally no experience in it. I knew that my athletic career at that point was over. And so I wasn't doing much physical activity. And and so he hopped on, you know, bodybuilding.com. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Steve Cook, but Steve Cook's, at least, you know, in the early 2010s, was a very popular bodybuilder. And he had a okay. program on there called Big Man on Campus. Oh, nice. And so this was like a cutthroat, like five or six day split. It, they were designed to be like 45 minute workouts so that you could like get all your other crap done that right. you had to do in the day. And so we did, we, we did five or six day splits. We never went to the rec center at Ball State. We had like a pretty nice gym at our apartment complex. Okay. So we'd go over there because we could do it at whatever time we wanted to. Yep. And so I just, I loved the way that that made me feel. And I loved the way that, that I, I felt it improved, you know, my emotional state in so many ways. It improved my self-confidence. And, and so all of my attention kind of was turned at that point towards training and, uh, you know, I wasn't doing well in school, so I decided to try an exercise science class. Hmm. And so, you know, you, you and I both went, went to Ball State, and so the the introductory class for exercise, exercise science is 190. So yes. basically all they do is they bring in speakers from different fields that you can go into with exercise science, and they let them talk to you. And yep. basically it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, a career day type class. It's just spread out over a semester. Right. And I loved it. Like, I... Like we had PTs and, you know, we had, there's a local CrossFit box that came in and talked and like we, we did all this stuff. So like we had them come in and talk. So kind of from then I just changed my major and didn't look back. Like I knew that I, I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time, but I knew that like this is kind of where I wanted to go. Like right. I liked class and I wasn't doing any better with any of the other classes. So why not try it? Yeah, that's really I mean, that's the that's the roundabout way how I got into that. I love it. And, you know, we must have just missed each other in that sense, because I know I went back for a couple years and spoke at that XI 190 class. Right, right. Yeah. So, And I always thought, man, am I that boring? Because I mean, it wasn't like <laughs> Thursday at like 9am. But man, they were kids straight up first row, just like heads down, not even yeah. trying to hide it. Yeah, so. it is brutal, too. Because I mean, you look at the kids in that class, they're mostly freshmen and sophomores and so they have yeah. no idea what they're what they want to do even so that's what yes. that's the point of the class but at the same time these kids are like ah. yeah yeah. yeah so so tell me about you know you're in xi 190 and you're starting to work out and you realize man this is something i'm passionate about take me from then and maybe ending your college career to where you're at now like fill in all those gaps for me right yeah so so like i mentioned earlier i had some hiccups early in school and you know, being a marketing major and a sports sports admin minor, I, I wasn't interested in a lot of my classes. I had business law classes that literally would put you to sleep. Yes. You know, I was depressed. I skipped school a lot of the time. Like, I wouldn't go to classes. I'd end up going to the gym and either working out or playing basketball. Like, I'd do pickup <laughs> games or whatever. Right. And so I ended, you know, by the time I was a sophomore, I was already on academic probation because my GPA was so low. Mm. And so when you're on academic probation... 
they basically say, look, if you don't maintain at least semester to semester a 2.0 GPA until your cumulative GPA is above the 2.0, we're going to kick you out of school. Right. And so, yeah, I was on the verge of getting kicked out of school. And, you know, in transitioning to, to exercise science, I found a lot of the subject matter to be interesting. So I loved reading about it. I loved spending time with that. And so my grades started to, to slowly kind of trickle back up. And, you know, I found it easier to keep that 2.0 and then, you know, hopefully kept going up above that. Um, <laughs> you know, my goal was not to graduate with a 2.0, but <laughs> I can remember in my sophomore year, we had a requirement to do 90 practicum hours. So basically observational hours, you didn't really have much to do with it. You were just supposed to follow around, you know, professional in your field. So, you know, it, it wasn't really direction. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I just knew that I liked this field. And so, you know, I hadn't really even thought about what I, where I wanted to end up. So, at that point, the likelihood of me graduating was still kind of in question. <laughs> right. um, and so I talked, you know, some of my concerns about, you know, where I wanted to be. And, and you know this lady, but I talked to Sarah Shorebeck. Yeah. Who's one of my professors at Ball State. And she she recommended that I do my observation hours at IFAS. Like we talked and, and she's like, I think this place, you know, she knew my demeanor. She knew, you know, where I was at. And she, she knew who you were and she recommended that I do my, my stuff at IFAS. And so... Having never heard of IFAST before, like I got online and you guys, you know, especially, you know, towards the beginning and in the early 2010s into now have, have had a heavy online presence. And so I got to read about everything that you guys did and I decided what the heck. So I emailed the email address that was on the <laughs> on the website and asked if I could just come in and do observation hours there in the morning for a couple of days a week. And uh I don't know who the email was from addressed back. I can't remember at this point, but it was it was just saying wear a black polo and black athletic shorts or athletic pants and bring a notebook. <laughs> yes. So it basically was just open ended. It was like, yeah, come whenever you want, you know, dress accordingly and right. bring a notebook. But other than that, like show up whenever you want to. Right. And so, you know, I went and shadowed at iFast, you know, pretty much exclusively with, with Jay Chung. And so you've had yes. Jay on the podcast before, but Jay was a morning coach for a long time uh, while I was first there. So, you know, I got to pick his brain for a couple hours. And each time I was in, I, you know, I realized how much he knew about training that wasn't even like on my radar. Right. So, like I thought I was getting, you know, all of this like book knowledge in school. And I was just like, this guy went to school to be a philosophy major. Like, and he, <laughs> right. knows, he knows so much more about this than I do. Right. And so, you know, then I meet you and I meet Bill and I meet Ty and I meet Lance and I meet Tony. And like, I just kept getting like smacked in the face with how much I didn't know. Right. And so, you know, I could have taken that, that surface level understanding that I got from school and like been happy with that and tried to get a job. But you know, I knew from that point on that I wanted to be a strength coach and like I didn't want to just be a strength coach, but I wanted to be like a high level strength coach. Right. And and, and I wanted to provide quality for the people that, that wanted to come see me. And so I knew that, you know, I wanted to be a strength coach and even more importantly that that continuing education and how I form that and how I that, like that's never ending in this industry, hopefully, if, if you want to be at a high level. So right. I knew that that's what it would take to have, you know, any level of, of success in this field. And so when I finished up, instead of 90 hours, what ended up being closer to like 150 hours with Jay <laughs> and the rest of the staff here, you know, I, I did a second practicum at NIFS. For, so for people who are from out of town, NIFS is the National Institute of Fitness and Sports. It's downtown. And then I did another one in the weight room at Ball State. So I kind of completed all of like the course requirement stuff with, right. you know, a couple different places with my main focus being obviously on IFAST. And really at my... At, 
you know, at that point, my grades had done a complete 180. And I, I, you know, I qualified to graduate by the time all of that stuff was over. And so for my final semester of school, I needed like a capstone internship, like that was supposed to be your your final semester. So I knew that at some point, I wanted IFAS to be on that list. But you know, you, you kind of like you have a taste of what what IFAS provides. And so I knew that. But I also like I was tired of being in the in Indiana for a while, like I went to college 30 minutes from where I grew up in high school. Right. And so, you know, I applied around to a couple different places and I ended up taking an internship in San Diego, California at a facility called Fitness Quest 10. So it's owned by Todd Durkin. Todd's a great guy, trains, you know, a lot of professional athletes. He had Drew Brees and Darren Sproles and Danny and Tomlinson while I was out there. Just just a lot of guys. And obviously, it's a great area if you want to train athletes in the offseason because who right. doesn't want to spend the summer in San Diego? So, right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had the opportunity to go out there. I mean, you know, I spent a little over six months out there and had a great time. I ended up towards the end of that internship being offered a position to stay out there and kind of help run their, their NFL combine and their offseason training. But I knew that that wasn't something that I was ready for on a couple different levels. It's so like personally, I wasn't happy with where I was at in my development. And I didn't think I thought it would be kind of selling myself short to take a job. But, but I also knew still that I wanted to do I wanted to, to spend more time at IFAS. So right. I went back, did an internship at IFAS. So th- those were immediately stacked after each other. I think I finished an internship in late December in San Diego, and I moved back and, and started my internship with IFAS in January. In total, I ended up spending like five months there. And I can get into this uh, get into this story a little later too. But, but I ended up deciding that you know during that time that I wanted to see a little bit more about what the team setting was about, and I was, yep. I was really interested in basketball. So I leveraged a lot of the connections that I had made already at IFAS and in San Diego to to get an internship with with John Riley at Texas Tech University with the men's basketball team. And so that was a huge opportunity for me at the time. You know, I basically had only started doing strength conditioning six months prior. (laughs) And so, uh, so yeah, I, I ended up spending the entire summer out in Lubbock, Texas. I had, you know, the opportunity now looking back, I didn't realize it at the time because of how young they were, but I had the opportunity there to coach two first round NBA picks from different years that were both on that team. One of them was just a freshman coming in and one of them, uh, actually two of them were both freshmen coming in. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they had, they had very little training experience. So I got that. And right after that opportunity was about to finish up, Indiana university decided to make a, a change with their strength staff. Well, their entire basketball staff. Right. And so they brought in a new strength coach. And so I just thought, what the heck, like I decided to reach out to him and see if, if I could, you know, if they had any room for me there. And I ended up spending the entire 17, 18 school year there with the Hoosiers. And then after that year kind of wrapped up, we had already started talking, you and I, and, you know, you were doing a lot of work with pre-draft and off-season basketball guys that summer. And yep. so I just decided to come up to Indy. I wasn't doing anything in Bloomington at that time anyways, and, and did basically another internship with you. <laughs> right. uh, and so these things just kept stacking onto each other. And so right as that was finishing up, you know, Ty Terrell at IFAST took took a strength job with, with the Atlanta Hawks, yep. and it was just kind of a right place, right time, and I ended up filling that spot for you guys, and, you know, I finished my master's degree during that, that first year, and the position has just kind of grown and evolved to the point where we're at now. I love it. I love it. So, I'm sure the people that are listening are wondering, what on earth prompted you to do not one, not two, not three, huh. but four, and, and honestly, if you count, like, that summer with me, five internships in succession 
Right. Yeah. I mean, the short answer is I just, I did, I didn't feel ready. I didn't think that I brought enough value to the table. And I knew that, you know, from, from being here and taking that seriously and, and caring about what I did, that I needed way more experience than, than just school could, could provide before I would have any type of value for a client or athlete. And so I took the time to surround myself with people who were in the positions that I wanted to be in one day. And, you know, I trusted those people. And really, the whole the whole goal is to just emulate those people because you, you, you're not completely yourself yet at that age. Sure. So I learned really quickly from the first time talking to Jay that there was so much value in understanding and owning your weaknesses. And so early on, in, you know, my knowledge gaps, which is really just a nice way of staying like areas of stupidity, <laughs> uh, right. they were huge. You know, I didn't know how to interact with people because you're not taught that in school. And I didn't know how to cue appropriately. And I didn't have and I for coaching and I can go on and on about all the areas that I just failed in like soft skills and hard skills. Like I just didn't have anything going for me at that time in terms of like who would want to work with somebody like that? Right. Like I'm a, I'm an amorphous blob at that point. <laughs> and I could, I could recite you stuff from an NSCA textbook, but I couldn't coach anybody. Yeah. And so my only value from a mentor mentee or like a coach client perspective was that I had to like bust my ass and like work really hard and become a, like I became a neat freak. Like I trained myself to, to take care of the facility and and make everyone else's job easier while I was there. And in the meantime, like I'll ask questions and absorb as much of the of the technical stuff as I could because like yeah. the only value I had at the time was being able to do things that other people didn't want to do. Yes. And so there wasn't really a point that I thought during that time, like this is the last one, like I'll be ready after this one. Like right. you can't think like that when you're in that position. So I just had to analyze, you know, the opportunities that came that came forward and and I knew, you know, when I was offered this job that the timing was right for me and I was in a good place where if I if I wanted to continue to grow and develop and to move forward like I needed to become a full-time coach. So, you know, that's the reason I'm I'm in the spot where I'm at now cuz to be honest with you, I could still be interning somewhere, or doing a GA position or doing anything else, but it was just kind of a right time, you know, for me to move on. Yeah, I love it. So, one thing that I'm interested in because you and I both know that every place has strengths and weaknesses, right? Like every program, every coach has strengths and weaknesses. You, me, Bill, we all have that. So something I'm interested in is through all these stops, what's maybe one thing that you learned from Todd when you were at Fitness Quest? What's one thing that you took away from John's program when you were at Texas Tech? I'd love to just hear a little bit more about that. Right, yeah. So early on, you know, when I did my practicums for school and then when I get into a more formal internship, obviously my first two experiences were at private facilities. And so really I had to find my personality. And I mean, you know how introverted I was when I when I first came here. Yes. And so to, to, to push myself out of my comfort zone and, and take a hold of, of a lot of the soft skills I had early on, I had to do that before I could worry about getting many of the technical skills. So I think that's where like my path benefited me the most was that you know, I started in the private sector and, you know, Todd's gym is very high energy. They do a lot of boot camp classes. They have a lot of celebrities that come in. And so I learned and I had to, had to find comfort in just projecting my personality already. Like I'm different at that time, especially different with family and friends than I am, you know, in a work setting. And so sure. I had to learn how to merge some of that personality that I have in, in around friends and family into clients and athletes. And so, 
you know, I, I go out there and I, I think, you know, with my first real experience coaching and they trusted me a lot to do a lot of things that I probably was not ready to do in terms of, you know, leading a class or, or anything like that. But I tried to work on projecting myself and, and being loud and, and providing energy for a session because those were things that were blatantly obvious if you ever <laughs> interacted with me at that point in my life, right? right? Right. And so, you know, when I came here, Jay would talk about how to flirt with your clients. And I think that was the, the topic that you guys talked about in his podcast. But, mm-hmm. you know, how to host a party, basically, you know, we do semi-private training, so we have four people on the floor. And so introducing those people and making sure that, you know, you're, it's not for little one-on-one sessions, although it is from a training standpoint, it's also like a little party that you have in there. Like right. people should want to talk to each other. People should interact right. with each other while they're in there. It shouldn't be awkward. Right. And so, you know, Tony would make me lead a boot camp class and I hated that. <laughs> I hated it. And I wanted to get better in those areas because getting like getting out of my comfort zone as often as possible was the only way that I was going to ever get out of that. And at that time, I didn't know if I would ever, you know, grow right. a personality. And so one story that, that, you know, hit me pretty hard and I alluded to this a little earlier, but it was at the end of my end of my internship at IFAST and I was talking to Ty a little bit about like what I wanted to do in the future and, you know, what, what he wanted me to work on. And very bluntly, he said, he told me, you'll be a good assistant coach one day. Mm, that's such a slap in the face when you hear that. Right, right. And like, you know, I, he told me I didn't command a room well and that it would be like impossible for me to coach like a room full of grown men. Right. And I was just like, damn, like, <laughs> like I never, I had never thought of that. And right. like his honesty in that moment, like, obviously we both know Ty and we, we know how blunt he can be about yeah. stuff. Like, dude, it like lit a fire. Yeah. And I was like, like that statement right there is what made me want to challenge myself with the team setting because yeah. like I'd never thought of coaching athletes. That was not my personality at all. I knew I loved sports, but I didn't think that the team setting would be something that I liked. And so, you know, my confidence grew from team to team. And so, you know, I continued to read and study and practice all of like the, the hard, the technical skills outside of that. But, but what I learned in the team setting and, and how it operates is that like you are as much a, a emotional leader in that setting as anything. So like, you know, you've had Ryan Horn on here before and and, and the impact of like culture that you can have, especially at the college level where guys are forced to be there and, you know, they have these hours that they have to be around you. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, I think another thing that I took away from the college setting was just how, like what type of personality worked for different athletes, because some of those guys really, really wanted to be in the weight room. And then some of the guys didn't care. Right. And so like learning how to approach those guys, and it's different with basketball too. Like basketball players don't always grow up in the weight room. Yes. Like my first year at IU, we had four freshmen come in and two of them had never had a weights class before. And we're talking about a high level division one athlete yeah. who hadn't been in the weight room. So like you and I both coach football players too. And like how ingrained is strength training in football? For like sure. they do it forever. Yep. So when they come into a college program, they're not new to that. So I learned a lot of the nuances at the college level and also like a lot of the sacrifices that you have to make in your personal life to, to gain a level of success. And so and how quickly that success can be can be kind of snuffed out also, because I remember being at Texas Tech and, and talking with John. And one of the statistics he gave me was like something like 75 percent of full time coaches are divorced because of the time commitment, you know, that's involved in coaching. Yeah. And it was like, dude, I was a volunteer 
yeah. intern. And I was there 60 hours a week. And like, I wasn't there as much as John was. So it's just like the level of commitment that you have and that you like how much you have to love your job to commit that much time to it, like to the point where a majority of your peers are ending their relationships and their marriages and like their families are strained because of that. Like that takes a lot of love and a lot of dedication. And so like I really did, I, I, from the team setting, especially I learned what it takes to live as a coach in the, and you know, doing those internships. And, and now, you know, in the last two years, my development has kind of taken more of a turn towards, you know, having a deeper understanding of, of physiology and human movement and exercise selection and so on. So, you know, I got, I, 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 don't get me wrong, like I took a ton, obviously, of, of technical skills from, from each internship, but I think just live, learning to live as a coach was probably my biggest takeaway from, from both levels. Yeah, I love that. And one thing I just want to reiterate is that, that point that you made about you can be an introvert when you're at home. Like you can absolutely be an introvert and be quiet and want to keep to yourself, but it's just not going to cut it in most cases on a gym floor. Right. You know, like, and you don't have to be Todd Durkin, high energy level. Like we can't, we can't right. be something we're not, but you got to have some juice when you step on the gym floor. And I think that's something that's important for young coaches to hear. Like you don't have to be the rah-rah motivator type. You don't have to be super high energy, but you can't be low energy. You can't be lethargic. You can't live in this little shell when you step on a floor. Because Absolutely. like, like Ty told you, you can't command a room. It's hard to build those relationships like you have to put yourself out there and right. you know, as well as I do, like we can talk X's and O's and physiology and human movement, but a big part of this game is rapport and relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing that I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on is the concept of apprenticeship. And this is something that Bill has talked a ton about. It's something that I've talked some about, and I know it's something that means a lot to you. So would you just give us an idea of you know, your kind of apprenticeship process and what it's meant to you and your growth. Right. Yeah. So you and I, you know, we, we both read the book mastery. And so, you know, we, if, if you've read that book, you understand like how standard a seven year apprenticeship has been like since the industrial revolution. And, yeah. you know, even it, you know, in some areas before that. And so, you know, finding people like yourself and like Bill and Ty and Jay, to emulate while I was trying to find myself was huge because I didn't have a personality at that point. I didn't have, you know, a mental model of of what an exercise should look like. So I didn't have all of those skills. And so you guys all gave me the opportunity and, you know, really the privilege of letting me coach your clients. Like that's part of that apprenticeship process. It's like we start out and, you know, you start out just observing and then you move into like limited coaching and, you know, you go through all these steps to the point where look like, you trusted me to to coach your clients, and I was just a kid at that right. point. Right. Um, and so obviously, like it was a lot of the, it, there was a lot of your guidance there because it was your programming, and you know I had seen you coach the programs before, but you know without without those kind of experiences and without trust, you know, from all of my mentors over the years, I don't know you know what situation I would be in right now because you know you and Bill have both talked about how you didn't have anybody in that situation. Right. And so I can't imagine that because I had a room full of people who, who poured into me on, on, in all of those, in all of those ways. So, you know, I'm still very much in my apprenticeship phase today. So, you know, I still have daily discussions with you and Bill in our office and, 
you know, I still text back and forth with Ty all the time and, and Jason and I will randomly hop on a call and, you know, try to talk out a movement issue with an athlete. So the people that I trust are still heavily influencing my development today. And I think that that's one of the things that I love so much about the apprenticeship process is that, you know, I made a lot of friends through that process also. And, it, you know, it's impacted my career in so many ways and, and just the value that it brought, you know, I can't speak highly enough of, of that process and, yeah. and all that. Yeah. That's awesome. So you've alluded to the fact, obviously you're still a young coach. You're still learning every day and look, it doesn't matter if you're young or not. If you're a coach, you should be learning every day, but what is your continuing education look like these days? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, first I have the privilege of working in an awesome facility where we take con ed very seriously. So we do in-services three times a week. Um, We talk about anything and everything. Basically, you know, questions can come up or they can be, you know, led ahead of time based on on whoever's talking. But we do a lot of problem solving during that time. I think what I get the most out of the in-services at at this point is, is helping to teach and answer questions during that time. And so Bill talks a lot about, you know, the value of teaching and where it will expose gaps in your understanding. And so now that I have interns beneath me and we have a younger staff at the gym, teaching really helps me, you know, see where I'm kind of falling behind or where I might not have the best explanation or, you know, even the way that I explain things to clients, it has to be fluid and it has to make sense to them. And then the way that I explain things to an intern has to be, you know, a little bit more technical in the way that we present it. So I try to do as much teaching, whether formal, like our in-services or informal, you know, if, if our intern has a question while we're on the floor, I try to answer those, you know, the best of my ability. But a lot of my free time now is, is spent reading. It's not directioned in a lot of cases. I'll read whatever is interesting to me. You know, I started some, some free courses online, which I think are awesome. Um, I, I started a free data science course and a physics wow. course online. Um, so I'm trying to understand more of like the sports science world because that seems to be more popular sure. you know, as, as the days go on. But really, you know, I treat a lot of my sessions as continuing education, a lot of my training sessions. So I think one of the biggest benefits to working at IFAS is the fact that you guys have let us have so much autonomy with what we do. And so my programs are so fluid at this point that like, I always have to explain to people like, yeah, I write you a hard copy paper program and it's, you know, printed in ink, but like, dude, this is, we're going to change this stuff if I don't like it. Or right. if, you know, if something is not working, like we will make a change on the fly. And I've gotten so much value out of like the fact that I can stand there and like watch a client and try to problem solve on the spot that like, you know, how much, how much do I need to spend? How much time do I need to spend reading about this stuff when I have like, hours of opportunity every day right to to increase my understanding about how how the body moves so yeah yeah, no we get it we get it kind of in all types of all types of ways structured and unstructured and and so yeah no i i really love that aspect of the job that's that's such a good point to make too because a lot of times i think people feel bad when they hear oh so and so does an hour of reading every day or they whatever watch an hour webinar every day like that's great but like at the end of the day, is that is that positively impacting you? Are you right. taking stuff away from that? And what I find a lot of times is people spend all this time doing con ed, but then they step on the gym floor and they're like on cruise control. Right. You know, like this is yeah. the time you have to be locked in, right? When you're when you're coaching, like you said, when you're problem solving, when you're writing a program. Like if, if you're learning stuff and you're learning things as you watch people move, 
and you want to improve movement quality, whatever that means, you know, like every time you write a program, this is a chance for you to get better and for right. you to evolve as a coach. So if you start thinking about it in that fashion, it's way more liberating. And, you know, if you're grinding 8, 10, 12 hours a day, you know, probably don't want to go home and read for 30 right. minutes about physiology when you get home. So use that time that you're already on the floor and make the most out of it. Yeah, yeah. You should be using your clients to, like, keeping their goals in mind, obviously, but, like, yeah. using them to experiment on because yes. if you just write a program out and push it in their face and say, look, we're, we're, this is exactly what we're going to do for four weeks, and if you get better, you get better, and, and if not, like, we'll just we'll try to fix that the next time you come right. in. Like, that's not how it works. That's not how it should work. So use that time to, like, watch and observe and change things and, like, create new exercises and don't try to be – don't use Instagram exercises – and, and just start writing it in your program and saying, like, look, I, this worked for so-and-so, and so, like, this is going to go on our thing without understanding what you're trying to get out of the exercise. I love it. So I'm really interested in your take on this one. What advice do you have for young coaches and interns that want to get their career started off on the right foot? Right. Man, this, this one took me a while. I, I think the best summary that I can give is just don't be afraid to invest time and money to be around people that you want to be like down the road. Like, uh, sure, I've gone into debt to, to do internships and move across the country and do all this stuff. But like, focus on your career while you have the time because I'm like, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the show, like I'm, you know, starting a young family. And so my time now is less like my available free time to just hand away is less than it was back then. Yep. But like work for, for young coaches, like work the long hours and spend your free time studying and like go the extra mile on everything you do because like the people around you are going to notice. And so like take that time because they, you know, other people care how much you care. You know, I remember Ryan Horn, I can't remember if it was on here. Maybe it was one of his Instagram posts one time said like how you do one thing, like especially if, if no one else is watching is how you do everything. And yes. so like you pay attention to the details and take care of people, especially like the way you want to be treated. And take pride in the quality of the quality of the work that you do because like that it'll it'll just return itself like tenfold down the line. So absolutely, yeah. I mean, d definitely don't be afraid to to work while you're young. I love it. You know, one thing that to just tack onto that, and you've said this before, but find ways to provide value. You know, yeah. it's not it's not equal, right? Like you've been doing this how many years now? And so if somebody comes in as an intern, especially day one. They're not going to provide the same level of value. So find ways to provide value, even if it's not in the technical aspect just yet. Right. No, I mean, I get, I get questions from potential interns now. And, you know, it's different even I, – I can see a gap in the – I don't want to call it a gap in the work ethic. But I can see a gap in, like, the way that interns now perceive value than the way, like, my intern class perceived value at IFAST. So sure. I get asked more now, like, is the internship paid? And at the time, like when I was their age, like I would have never asked that question. I just, it wasn't yeah. even on my radar because I knew what kind of payment I was getting. I was getting value in the education. Like people were, right. these people are opening their doors and allowing me the, the opportunity to work with people that I have no business working with. And like, if you can't see the value in that, then like, okay, maybe this is not like the right thing for you because you're right. not like getting a degree doesn't entitle, like give you a certificate to work with whoever you want at that point. Right. You're not entitled to that. So, yeah, I just, uh, you know, put in the put in the time on the back end and do do what you do really, really well. 
And especially when we have somebody like Austin now. I mean, Austin's an adult, you know, and he's worked as a physical therapist. He's already had income and he's set that aside to come and intern at our gym. So like when stuff like that happens, then when like a a 20 year old kid asks, do you get do we get paid for an internship? Right. Like, Like, no, no, no. (laughs) Sorry, you don't. Yeah. And just in case you're wondering, only one intern in the history of ever has been paid at iFast. It was the original Nick the intern, and that's because I didn't know any better at the time. So, <laughs> Nick, you were Man, lucky, my guy. Lucky guy. Yeah. He was lucky. He was lucky. <laughs> All right. So, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Eric Huddleston one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Yeah, this is a hard one, too. And I think, you know, partly because I'm still so young and I'm still trying to figure a lot of this stuff out. But I would just say, and you and I have had this discussion before, but just, just to prioritize my energy. Yep. You know, I used to spend a lot of time in both my professional and personal life, like worrying if, if people would like me or getting offended when people didn't think the same way that I did or didn't value my opinion. And, you know, that drained a lot of my energy to put towards things that I actually enjoyed doing, like spending time with friends and family and, and coaching and, and mentoring and you know, working with athletes and it it derailed a lot of my attention and a lot of my energy away from that kind of stuff. So I would just tell myself, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Like it's not, people aren't, people aren't often trying to offend me in any way. And you know, people aren't trying to, people just have their own way of doing stuff. So I need to prioritize where I, where I kind of put that energy at. For sure. Love it. All right. Last but not least, lightning round. Four fairly short questions. Your <laughs> answer can be as long or short as you'd like. All right? Yeah. Gotcha. N- number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? Oh, man. So I'm going to cheat on this one because I actually have a couple. But they're kind of like split into categories. I so it. I think that'll work. All Let's right. Roll. So my first is much less important in the grand scheme of things. But I grew up a diehard Duke basketball fan. Mm. And so just oddly enough, at my year at IU, we actually hosted Duke in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Yeah. And so I was obviously very, very torn. I, you know, I love the guys at IU that I work with, but I was also a huge basketball fan. And to see, you know, Grayson Allen and Marvin Bagley and all those guys in person. And, you know, you know I sat in a coach's seat. So I sat courtside and I, you know, we got up in timeouts and the crowd was a, you know, standing room only crowd at Assembly Hall. Yeah. Um, nationally televised game and I'm not kidding when we you know when they called the timeout and we ca- we hung in the game like it was a really really close game uh, you didn't end up winning in the end but when we called timeouts like it I felt in my chest the volume of the crowd like I was standing wow. a foot away from Archie Miller and I could not hear what he was saying and it was like standing next to a like next to an uh, airplane on on the runs on the runway yeah like I could feel it in my chest how loud the crowd was like the floor was vibrating and so that for me is a, is one of you know my most special coaching memories just because of the environment and and the team that was playing and and all that stuff. So that's my first one. My second one was was very very early in my full time coaching career at IFAS, and so I had a potential D one college basketball player come in for some rehab and reconditioning. He had worked out before, but you know kind of sporadically. He wasn't yeah. from very close, but. Uh, he had a meniscus injury that kept him out like his entire senior year of basketball. And so, yeah, he worked his butt off for four months with Bill and I. And, you know, he ended up at the end of that four months. He had gone from basically being in a boot 
to, you know, being some, some low level physical activity, but nothing where he like dynamic. So he wasn't right. running or jumping or doing any of that stuff. And, you know, after four months, he, he, we literally, the first time we tested his vertical. So he had only been jumping for like a week. He'd only been cleared to jump, you know, full contact for like a week. And he was like three inches off of his all time max on his vert. So like I learned, and, you know, and now he's playing, you know, division one basketball, but I learned so much in that time about, you know, progressions and regressions and, and how many exercises that I still use now that I kind of like developed during that time. And, and it shaped a lot of the ways, you know, that I coach today and a lot of the principles that drive my decision making today. So, you know, I really appreciate him and I really appreciate you and Bill, you know, trusting me during that time. But that was, that was for me, I was nervous. Like that yeah. was a huge win for me because I'd never, you know, had somebody basically rely on me to get them back into shape to, to play competitive basketball. Yeah. And so my last one is a little bit more uh, on the heartfelt end. But, you know, I work with a high school soccer player, a local high school soccer player named Lauren. And, you know, I've, I've worked with her since basically I started here. And yep. she was always really, really quiet and reserved around me. But we also, we, like, we had fun during our sessions. And, you know, we uh, she showed a ton of improvement during, you know, the first couple months, you know, as, as, as we went on training. And, you know, we'd always have little side conversations. And, you know, her mom dropped her off. And so one day I was, you know, talking to her mom. And Lauren was warming up and, and her mom told me that that Lauren had written an essay uh, for a potential college that was recruiting her. Mm. And the essay was about two people that inspired and impacted her. And and she ended up writing about her grandmother and me. And That's so, cool. you know, I, until that point, I realized the impact that we had from like a physical standpoint on the athlete. But I don't think I ever realized how much of an impact we had in ways that like you can't see. Yep. And so though I didn't think I was, you know, anything more than just, you know, a young coach who was who was working out, you know, she described her sessions in that essay as therapy for her because of the time we spent talking and, you know, all I was doing was listening to her and, and right. you know, making a joke every once in a while or, you know, letting her express whatever she wanted to express. So that kind of stuff meant a lot to me. So those those are kind of three different categories of, of highlights from my coaching career so far. I love it. And I did not know the Duke thing. No wonder yeah. you and Ty got along so well. Yeah, that was a big thing. Ty, but Ty always knew way more about like the stats and stuff than I did. Well, yeah, because I, I mean that he's obsessed, dude. That's yeah, he why he's them. that's why he's in the NBA, dude. Right, right. He's yeah. obsessed with that stuff. Yeah. Okay, number two, best beard grooming tips. Go. All right, and I've told you this before, and I will yes. continue parping on it until you shave it off. Don't overwash it and don't touch it too much. I think yes. that has to be. So, so the, I stole some of this from Jim Ferris, and I think he said this on your podcast again, so I keep referencing all that <laughs> stuff. He was like, he only washes his hair twice a week. And I was like, all right. And so I only wash my beard like twice a week. And so I use conditioner a lot of the other times when I'm feeling like I just have to get in there and like right. clean it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, conditioner more than wash. Don't touch it a lot. Make sure you're using some kind of oil to help it lay down and, yeah, and yeah. keep it pigeon. So, yeah. So... Because you guys cannot see E while we are talking, he is almost single-handedly reversed the entire iFast course of no shave. <laughs> and only because he looks so much better with a beard than he looks clean-shaven. Right, yeah. And, hey, hide my face, man. Yeah, hey, I'm there with you, man. Okay, number three. I'm, I'm interested in this one, too, because it comes back to that mastery and apprentice type type thought process but yeah. what advice would you have for someone who is moving from the role of mentee to mentor 
Yeah, that's a, that's an important one because I mean, so many of us just kind of get get brought into these positions without really having a transition. And you know, a mentor provides you with with the information you need to know to be a coach, but not always like there's not always steps laid out on how to be a good mentor yourself. So yeah. I would say just remember who you who you were as an intern and the things that you struggled with. And like remember what it was like to work for free and remember how aloof you were and how one day like you'd think you knew everything and the next day you felt like you had regressed. <laughs> and like just pour into them the way that your mentors poured into you. And I think that you'll be doing at least an appropriate amount of, of service towards your interns. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Number four, last but not least, what's next for Eric Huddleston? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, just continuing to advance on what I do and have some kind of, you know, lasting impact on the on the people that I get to work with and on the coaches that I get to come in contact with every day. I, d- I don't have a clear, a clear understanding of where I'll be in the future. But no, I love what I do. And, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to to be in the position that I'm in right now. Yeah. Well, we're lucky to have you, man. I appreciate, I appreciate you. That. Yeah. So Eric, my guy E, you've been awesome to <laughs> chat with today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and what you got going on? Right. So obviously if you'd like to, you can just stop into IFAST. I'm there most of the day, most yes. days. Um, yes. if you guys ever want us to come by, but as far as the interwebs go, most of my coaching slash puppy videos are going to be on Instagram. So you can follow me there. EPH period two four. I don't really get on Facebook a whole lot. Twitter, I kind of fell off on that too. So probably just follow me on Instagram. Also, I'll go ahead and put put out my email on here, and you can put it in the show notes yeah. too. But it's if anybody has any questions, it's e r i k h u d d at gmail dot com. So yeah, Perfect. hit me up. Perfect. I'll make sure I put those links in the show notes. And just so you guys know, this dude has an amazingly cute puppy that you need to follow. He's worth the follow. Just on his own right now. Oh, yeah, by by far, yeah. He's a good-looking pup. All right, (laughs) E, thanks so much, my guy. This is great. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Eric. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it, and I really hope you took something away from it as well. I think Eric's got such a fresh viewpoint for a young coach and a young man, and I sincerely hope that if there's a young coach in your life, you'll be willing to pass this episode along to them, whether it's social media, email, just letting them know about this show. I would truly, truly appreciate it. And my friend, that does it for this week's show. As always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.